Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Renaissance. It's great to be with all you, all of you. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here at the church, and, and we're finishing up our messy Christmas, Christmas series that we started a few weeks ago. This is week three. I hope you caught in the announcements that we're not going to have service next Sunday because it's Christmas morning. And you're like, well, that seems sort of sacrilegious. I'm like, yeah, but I have kids. You have kids, right? Let's just all stay home for Christmas. So we're going to have a Christmas Eve service uh, next Saturday at 4 o'clock. And so I hope you guys can make it to that. But for this week, as we finish up our Messy Christmas series, we're going to be talking about the messy story or the messy nativity. That's what nativity means. It's the birth story of Jesus. Week one of our series, we just talked about messy relationships, that we have. And, and uh, there's no better time to remember how messy the relationships, uh, particularly with our own family that we have sometimes, than around the holidays, right? When I said this last week, when you have to sit around the dinner table with the, the people who don't vote like you, right? And you have to have conversations with the people who have different opinions than you do. And it's just, you realize how messy that relationships can be, particularly in the family. But, but God is a God of reconciliation. Yes. And amen. And he oftentimes wants to restore those relationships. And so I just posited this idea that maybe not thus saith the Lord, but maybe the Lord is actually trying to reconcile relationships in your own family. It's quite possible that this Christmas season might be a wonderful opportunity for that to happen. So who knows? That was week one. Last week, we talked about just the messy world that we live in, and um, I'm of the persuasion that believes that the world is getting better. I know I'm sort of in a a unique position. Not not everyone believes that, but but Jesus also came into a messy world, and because of the work that Jesus has done for us, I'm arguing that the world is getting better. And so that was last week. We're talking about the, the messy world that we live in, but Jesus is making it better. Say amen. I'll move on. Yes, I believe he is. I believe he is. He's made my life better, and if your life's not getting better, let's introduce you to Jesus. That could help. I'm sure. Um, But this week, again, I want to talk about the messy nativity story, the the messiness of Jesus' own birth. Um, To do that, I want to share a story with you that I ran across as I was reading this week. It's a a story from a Methodist pastor named Robert Fuquay. You won't know him. You don't need to know him. He's not from Decatur or anything. But he was, this pastor was at a a church sort of leadership um, gathering where they were installing some new leaders in their sort of district. And I don't know much about the Methodist church. It's probably a lot like ours in some regards that when you you put new people into leadership positions that sometimes you'll come together and just pray for them and encourage them. And in so doing, a retired pastor gets up and shares a story. And this story was so funny. I just want to share it with you. It's a story about a bird, right? And for whatever reason, this bird decided not to fly south for the winter. So when the cold weather came and the the days were getting shorter, this bird decided to just hang out, right? When everyone else went south, he stayed. And then come the middle of winter, it was so cold, this bird was really struggling. In fact, one day he was trying to fly and his wings were so cold, he he couldn't fly anymore. And he just realized, I made a mistake. I'm going to die up here in the middle of winter. And so he finds his way out into the middle of a field and he just sits down. 
Unbeknownst to him, a farmer not far by let his livestock out. The livestock go out into the field, and they don't see the bird out there, and these, these cows walk out there, and one cow in particular stands over top of this bird. The bird doesn't know he's there. The cow doesn't know he's there. And bovines do what they do. They chew their cud, and they leave stuff behind. So this cow, right, he decides to deposit some waste behind. I'm trying to put it nicely here, right? But he drops some dung on top of this bird, right? And it falls right on top of this bird. Like, can it get any worse for this bird, you're wondering? No, it can't, because now this manure is just showering on top of this poor little bird. And the craziest thing happened. The warmth of this manure, this is so Christmassy, stay with me here. I'll get there, I, prom I promise. <laughs> you are like, is this always like this? Sometimes it really is, if you're visiting. But, but the warmth of this manure resuscitated the bird. And his, his wings started to thaw out. His blood started to get warm. And he, he actually found a little bit of joy again. And he starts chirping from the middle of this manure pile. Chirp, 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 just singing his summer song. And about that time, a cat came out of the barn. Uh, you see where this is headed. And that cat hears that chirping. And he finds his way to the manure pile, reaches in, grabs the bird, shakes it free of the manure, and eats it. Merry Christmas. So this, this retired pastor who's sharing this story said that there are three morals to this story. And I don't know which one's going to resonate with you. The first one is this. Not everyone who messes on you is your enemy. Sometimes it just happens. Second thing, second moral is this. Not everyone who helps you out of a mess is your friend. Huh? And the last one, maybe the most important one, is this is that when you find yourself in a mess, just stay quiet. <laughs> just keep it, keep it, yes, thank you for that. Thank you for that. No, I bring, I bring that story up because I think oftentimes um, our society, our culture, sort of falls into the, the third, we prefer the third moral of that story, that when people are in a messy uh, life situation, we prefer they just keep it to themselves. Unfortunately, in our world today that we'll read or hear of a, a, a mass shooting that will take place, whether it be in a nightclub or a hospital, sometimes they're in schools, sometimes they're at the, the shopping centers or the malls, and the news will begin to report this story. And there are some people who argue, I wish the news just didn't report these things. And I for sure wish they wouldn't give the name of the shooter because it seems to just like incite other people to copy that violence. That these other narcissists and violent people are trying to find their 10 minutes of fame and they're going to see that story on the news and they're going to try to, you know, copy that. And we say to ourselves, I wish they'd just keep it quiet. For sure keep the guy's name out of the news, right? Or something like that. Or how about this? Maybe in our city we see this. There are panhandlers all over the place. Have you seen that? A lot of them are homeless. Some of them are not, whatever. And they're on like every intersection, major intersection in our city. I work downtown, so I run into them a lot. And I feel like I, I go out of my way. All right, I admit this. Sometimes I feel like I go out of my way to avoid them. Like if I see one walking down the sidewalk, I'll go to the other side. When I'm at an intersection and they're holding up their sign, just trying to make eye contact with me, I'll avoid making eye contact with them. Anyone? It's like we don't want to be accosted by the messiness of their life. We just want to sort of live in, in our own life. If somehow their, their messiness, it sort of confronts us and we just don't prefer that. In fact, we just wish that the city would do something about it. 
that we wish the city would just pass an ordinance that makes it illegal to do what they do so that we don't have to deal with it anymore. So I don't know about you on those three morals, which one you find most appealing, but I think we as a culture find the third one to be the most appealing to us. I think we have this proclivity to push aside the messiness of other people's lives because we don't like how it makes us feel. We don't like how it makes us question even our own lives. And here's where I want to go today. I wonder if we have unintentionally done that, if we unintentionally sanitized, cleaned, um, lacquered, and polished the nativity story of Jesus. Because in its true messiness, and it is truly messy, and we'll get to that later, it makes us feel somewhat uncomfortable. And we don't want to feel uncomfortable at Christmas time. So the question is, do we unintentionally sort of sanitize a Christmas story? I think we do, and here's why I say that. Did you know there are two nativity stories of Jesus' birth in the Bible? There are four Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all biographies of Jesus' life, but only two of them tell us about Jesus' birth. There's the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew gives us the nativity or Jesus' birth story. And then there's the nativity that's found in Luke chapter 2. And I think we always sanitize the story. And here's why I think that. Because every time we go to tell the story at Christmas time, all of us, when we're reading the Christmas story to our children, we grab Luke chapter 2. And we read that story. And if you don't know the Bible, this is what the Luke chapter 2 story tells us. It tells us about what TJ was talking about earlier, shepherds and angels singing. It tells us about Joseph and Mary riding down to Bethlehem, possibly on a donkey. There's no room for them. In the end, they give birth. They lay the baby in a manger around these animals, all of that. That's that picturesque like nativity scene that you have on your mantle or in your neighbor's front yard. That's the picture that we have of the Christmas story. But it's not the only nativity of Jesus. Did you know that? That Matthew also has a recording of Jesus' birth. And it's a whole lot more messy. And we never go with that one. We always tell Luke too. How many people remember a Charlie Brown Christmas? Right? You're that old? That's okay. So anyways, and, and Linus, right? Charlie Brown's friend grabs a Bible and he starts to tell a story. Guess which story he tells? Luke chapter 2. When the, when the patriarch of the family, the grandpa or the dad, gets the kids around the fireplace on Christmas Eve and tells a story, guess which one they read? Luke chapter 2. No one reads Matthew chapter 1 and 2. And, and, and um, that to me is proof. And I'll tell you what Matthew talks about here in just a little bit. But to me, that is proof that we want to uh, distance ourselves from the actual messiness of Jesus' life and his birth. So anyways, our culture has done a lot to reshape what the Christmas story looks like. Our culture has done a lot to reshape um, and clean up the Christmas story so that we don't have to feel uncomfortable. And I think, unfortunately, when we do this, we're actually creating, and this is the, the rub for me, we're actually creating a different message than the gospel writers and God himself intended for us. That the, the Bible carefully collects all of that information for us to, to learn about who Jesus was, how he was born, and the 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 darkness that's in that story so that we can be encouraged that God still came to this earth to save us. Mike Slaughter in his book, Christmas is Not Your Birthday, (laughs) writes this. He says, consumer-focused marketing and our Victorian traditions have replaced the biblical meaning of God with us. And in our attempts to create this magical Christmas experience, We run ourselves into the ground emotionally, physically, financially, and relationally. 
So in our efforts to turn Christmas into this tidy, tender little experience, we've ended up making Christmas harder for other people. Well-intended we may be, it's actually more difficult. And the reason it's harder for people because as if you're like me and you have some contradictions in your own life, you have some, some messiness in your own life, as we've been talking about these past couple of weeks, and as Christmas is approaching and you see this polished version of what families are supposed to look like, you've seen the Hallmark movies, yes? You've seen all of that. You have these, these make-believe memories of how awesome your Christmases were. They weren't. You just are remembering them wrong, right? And, and so as we move towards Christmas, we have this polished idea of what it's supposed to look like, and our lives are somewhat a mess. It, we feel conflicted, and it brings some anxiety to many of us, some tension. I went to a Christmas party last night. My wife uh, made me stay out late last night. Thank you for that, Stacy. by the way. Um, and uh, on, my, on my way there, I'm thinking to myself, I've got church in the morning. Like, I can't stay out late. I got home at like 10, 30, 11 o'clock, got to bed at midnight, right? My alarm goes off at 5 a.m., I'm just saying, on a Sunday morning. So it is a struggle for me, right? And so all of that lays into, like, our experience of Christmas. Have you heard the idiom that misery loves company? Yes. You guys heard that before? Yes. Yeah. Um, it's not really true. Here's what I want to say. It's not just that people who are miserable like company. They want company that are also feeling miserable. Anyone? Right? So when we say misery loves company, we're not saying that they want to be around joyful people because they don't. I assure you, they do not. Right? They want to be around other people who are also struggling and, and having a hard time. So researchers uh, a while back, a couple years ago, tried to find out if this was in fact true. If this idiom, if our culture actually believed it, that misery loves company. And so these researchers did a test on a group of subjects. And they grabbed this group of subjects together and they told them this hypothetical story. And I'm going to share it with you here. This hypothetical story looks like this. There's an apartment building right next to a park in a city. And the tenants in that apartment building all have outside of their window a view of the park. And there's a stream in the park. There's a walking path. There's a playground equipment. There's all this cool stuff, a bunch of animals out there. And everyone in this apartment has a view of that park. The researchers then went to the test subjects and said, listen, we need you to tell the tenants of this apartment building that a high rise is going to be built right next door, right? And they're going to lose their view of the park. And you can tell them that story if you want, or you can tell them that story with one other piece of information. And the other piece of information is this, is that you're going to lose your view of the park because this high rise is going up, but also 85% of the people are going to lose their view too. And given the option to tell which story to those tenants, everyone, almost everyone, chose the one that says everyone else is going to lose their view as well. They knew, hear me what I'm trying to say, they knew that misery or people who are, are losing something, they find comfort in the fact that other people are losing it too. So misery does, in fact, like company. And we can commiserate in our own messiness if we're real enough to consider it. And the Christmas season is the antithesis to that, when everything is just polished and perfect and make-believe. It's like Facebook. Everything's fake on Facebook, right? Say amen, I'll move on. Yeah, right. So anyways, so I wanna tell you the story of Matthew's nativity. Are you ready? And while we're doing this, I thought we'd go through an exercise. Uh, for next Christmas, 
I thought we would um, write a Christmas play together. So as I'm going through the, the nativity in Matthew, you can help me remember the scenes that we're going to put in our Christmas play for next year. So if anyone's taking notes, you can write these down. But Matthew's story starts like this. Chapter 1, verse 18, and it says this. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. Hey, we're going to learn about the birth of Jesus. All right, let's go. So when Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, right? Mary and Joseph, we know them. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Stop here. So in Matthew's nativity, first scene, or writing this down, this is our Christmas play for next year. We see Mary and Joseph and a judge in a courtroom, a divorce court takes place. Scene one, I can feel it, right? Does this feel very Christmassy to you? But this is the story, the real story of Jesus' birth, that the scene opens with Joseph contemplating divorcing his wife because he's convinced she's been unfaithful to him. That they're betrothed, it's like engagement plus. It's like, it's, they're, they're, only, they're married, but they're not married yet because they haven't consummated the marriage. They haven't had the wedding feast and all of that stuff, but they are together. They are contractually bound together. And she comes back from her cousin Elizabeth's house after she's been visiting them for like six or seven months or so. She comes back and she's pregnant. And Joseph's like, ruh-roh, what is happening here? <laughs> and it says that we know this, that Joseph have, had three um, Options. Number one, he could just pretend like nothing was wrong. He could pretend that everything was fine. It's going to be fine. I just marry her. Right? And he'd probably be shamed and his family would probably disown him and the whole deal because he's taken this woman who's an adulterer, so to speak. His other option was to follow the law in Deuteronomy 22. If you want any homework for your Christmas story, read Deuteronomy 22 when it says that anyone caught in adultery should be dragged before the city gate and stoned to death. So Joseph could have followed that option or the third option because he was a just man, Matthew tells us. And because he loved Mary, I believe, and he didn't want to put her to shame. He didn't want to drag her out before the city and embarrass her. Didn't want to stone her for sure. He decides to divorce her quietly. And he says, he goes back to her dad. You can picture, he says, listen, this ain't going to work out. I'm washing my hands of her. You can have her back. She can go her way. I'll go my way, and we might run into each other at the Costco. I don't know, but I'm not going to marry her. Like, we're done with this. And that's the option he chooses. But picture this. There's no Mary and Joseph traveling on a donkey to Bethlehem in Luke chapter 2 if Joseph continues with this. If he follows his desire to divorce his wife, we don't have the Christmas story. And the Christmas story that Matthew's telling us is that it's a mess sometimes. That divorce is everywhere, not just in our own culture, it's in this story as well. And some people carry around shame and, and regret over all of those things that they live with. And, and God is inviting us into this reality that, listen, you think this story is so picture perfect and you feel shame because you've done some things maybe that aren't right or correct. But God, but God brought his son into the middle of a story like that. We keep reading verse 20, and it said, As Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Maybe it's Gabriel. We don't know. It doesn't mention him. But it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, and it said, And the angel said, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That she is pregnant, but she's not pregnant because she's been unfaithful to you, Joseph. She's, she's pregnant because God is doing something profound 
miraculous, supernatural here. And you shouldn't have fear to take her as your wife. What was so fascinating about the story that God is telling us is that Joseph plays a major role here. In our sanitized, cleaned up, glossed over version of Christmas, Joseph has a supporting role at best. At best. You don't believe me, Google Christmas carols that contain the word Joseph. They don't exist. Well, there's a couple of them. But look for Jesus in a Christmas carol. He's in every one of them. Mary, she's in most of them. Joseph, uh uh-uh. And so in our story, he's a supporting role. But in God's story, he's a main character. And he tells us how Joseph feels in this. We can continue on. And we we are introduced to a man named Herod the king. Herod is also told uh, about in Luke's gospel as well. It's more of a a time stamp on when this took place. And, And Matthew does something similar. But you need to know this about Herod, who was the king of Judea at the time. That he was half Jewish and he was the king of the Jews. And he was placed in authorities, in authority over the Jewish people. Not from the Jews, but because Rome had put him in place there. And he could, he could keep if he could keep and maintain peace in Judea, then he could maintain his control and he could keep the title of king. Herod the king sought his own glory and power. And if anything or anyone threatened that, he removed that threat with violence and haste. But Herod was a wicked and cruel man. History tells us that he murdered his own wife, his mother, and three of his own sons because he thought they were trying to take his throne away from him. But because he was half Jewish, Herod doesn't eat pork. No bacon for Herod is what I'm trying to say. And so the emperor of Rome once said this, that it was safer to be one of Herod's pigs than to be a member of his own family. Think about that. And so an insecure leader like Herod who becomes afraid that someone is trying to take power from him becomes dangerous to everyone around him. And dun, 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 enter the wise men or the magi of the story. This is Matthew's story where wise men from the east, we don't know where they came from. Syria, Persia, we don't know. They come from the east and they come over and they, they had been following a star in the sky because they, and they're astrologers, astronomers, they're whatever, they're magicians. They, they believe that this is telling them that a new king has been born to the Jews. And so they go straight to Jerusalem, the capital city, and they find Herod and they go to Herod and they say, hey, King Herod, we heard there's a new king in town. There's a new king that's been born. And Herod's like, say what now? Come again? What's that you say? A new king has been born. And so, so Herod tells these wise men, well, where is he? Do you know where this, 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 this child that is to be king is born? They're like, no, we're looking for him. And Herod's like, okay, bet. When you find him, come and tell me where he's at because I too want to wink, wink, worship this king. You can imagine what Herod wants to do to this child. He wants to kill him. So In um, scene two of our Christmas play for next year. Who's taking notes? I just need to make sure we get this. Scene one is divorce court. We got that happening. Scene two, we've got a maniacal king who wants to kill Jesus. All right, we'll start with that. That sounds pretty Christmassy. Okay, all right, write that down. And then then the the wise men, they come and find Jesus, right? And they go to his parents and they bring the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. You've heard that story, right? And it says, let me read this in verse 16. It says that when, oh, sorry, the, the wise men, when they, they leave baby Jesus, they don't go back to Herod and tell him 
where Jesus is. And this is what we read in verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, he became furious, shocker, and he sent and killed all of the male children in Bethlehem and in that region, all of the boys who were two, two years old and younger. And he did so according to the time that the, the Magi told him when the baby was to have, born, to, been, to have been born. So that's our second scene. There's infanticide happening in our Christmas story. So we move from divorce to infanticide. This is a messy, messy story. But in the middle of this messy story, God is sending forth his son to, to show us that our lives here, this is, this is the, the rub for us, is that our lives don't have to be picture perfect for God to intervene for us. That we don't have to clean ourselves up so that God will see us and notice us and come and help us. That in the middle of all of this trouble and, and trial, God comes. In the midst of, of Joseph's distrust and, and feeling cheated upon, um, God shows up and helps him. And in the midst of, of Herod trying to kill Jesus, God shows up. Look here in verse 13. This is when the, the wise men departed Mary and Joseph, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Again, is this Gabriel? Maybe. And he said to, the, to Joseph, rise and take the child and his mother, and I want you to flee to Egypt. And I want you to remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. In verse 14, it says, and Joseph rose and he took the child and his mother, when? By night and departed to Egypt. Scene three of our Christmas, lovely Christmas story, is now we have a family who have become refugees, fleeing their own country into another country. Into a country, by the way, Egypt, that held God's people in slavery for over 400 years in their past. And God is calling them back to that place. And you're like, what is going on in this story? And yet in the middle of it, God is providing how does a, a poor couple like Joseph and Mary, a young couple with a brand new baby or a young toddler, two-year-old, how do they make themselves down to Egypt on a carpenter's salary? They can't. So in God's providence for them, he brings gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, expensive gifts to Mary and Joseph to, to dedicate to the king, right? And I'm sure, the Bible doesn't say this, but, but color in between the lines with me here, that I'm sure that they used that money to fund their trip down to Egypt where they lived for possibly two or three years until Herod died and the baby Jesus was safe. Verse 19, it says that when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Did I mention that Joseph plays a primary role in this story? Like he gets no credit in the Christmas carols. I need someone to write a Christmas carol with Joseph in it. Anyone want to take that up? That's what we need. We're singing that in our Christmas play next year, a story about Joseph. I don't think you guys are buying my Christmas story for next year. I'm sorry. It says, verse 19, when Herod died, Yay, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, rise and take your child and his mother and go back to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are now dead. And so they return. And this is the nativity story that Matthew records for us. And I think it's a perfect ending to our Christmas series, Messy Christmas, to just show us how messy life can actually be. Does this does this seem so um, shockingly and starkingly different than the Christmas story that you're probably used to hearing every Christmas? 
I gotta be honest with you, when I get a chance to preach a Christmas message, I go to Luke 2. I don't really go to Matthew because it seems depressing. I can see it in your faces. You're like, what's going on in this place today? I don't know what's happening. I don't feel very inspired. I'm glad I invited a friend to come with me today. I have no idea what's happening. Um, hear me when I say this. This is a pastor's heart trying to tell you um, that it's okay for your life to be screwed up. <laughs> and the Christmas season doesn't have to add extra anxiety and stress to your life because God shows up and helps messed up people. Can we do this real quick? Can you just take a deep breath with me? Breathe in. Hold it. Breathe out. And doesn't it feel good to know that God is paying attention? That he's paying attention in their lives and that he's paying attention in our lives. And in this Christmas season, we get the opportunity to just see it differently. To engage with it in a real way. And to look to the, the hope that is God with us in the middle of this Christmas season. This, this war of Christmas that our culture, or war on Christmas that our culture wants to talk about, that's fine. They can fight a war. I don't give a rip about the war. What I care about is that Jesus be the main focus in my life. And he'd be the main focus in my life, not just at Christmas time, but at all times. This story that Matthew tells, I believe it's going to help people realize that Jesus wants to help them. Jesus wants to engage in the messiness of their lives and, and encounter them in a way that would so radically transform their lives that, that maybe someday someone will write a story about them and how God has changed their lives. That maybe your family dynamic changes because Jesus has now intervened in your life like he intervened in their lives and your, your story is forever changed. So, so many people come to church around Christmas time. And Easter, we call them, what do we call them? Creasters. They just come to Christmas and Easter, right? Some people, and we love them, and that's fine. That's fine. But here's, here's really what I'm hoping, is that people would hear this message and that God would grab a hold of them in a way that they would have a desire to follow after him in January and in March and in July when everyone is taking vacations and and that something inside of you says, I just wanna hear more about the story of Jesus. I just wanna hear more about how God can change and shape my life. I think the story is, is, um, is helpful to us. I think, I think if we try to take the polish off, if we strip the lacquer off, if we see it for what it is, it's actually helpful to us. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus has come. There's nothing more Christmas than that. There's nothing more Christmas than celebrating the arrival of Jesus. And we just have to accept him. You don't have to, hear me, you don't have to clean up yourself before you accept him. You don't have to, to do right things. You don't have to attend church first. You don't have to like, like get your life back. And you have to balance your checkbook first. You don't have to like stop drinking first. You don't have to stop smoking first. You don't have to do anything first. Joseph had settled on divorce and God came in and changed it. Jesus' life was at risk. He had no hope of a future. And God, when an angel comes to Joseph and delivers him, and, and they weren't, we have no record that they were praying 
for help. They had no record that they were trying to get their lives together. And then God showed up. It's just that God showed up in their mess. It's the Christmas story. It's the real story. Let's pray together. Thank you for coming. And if you're wondering if we're really going to do that Christmas play next year, I don't think so. I think, I think this was depressing enough. We're not going to do the Christmas story like that. But um, Lord, we thank you for our time this morning. We thank you that you can open our eyes to the, the real messiness of the Christmas story. God, we thank you that we found ourselves here. We don't, some of us, we don't even know why we came today. We came on the day and I just, Lord, I just pray that they would, uh, they would hear you today, that their ears would be open to hear. Lord, I pray that all of our minds would be open to receive what you have for us. Lord, we ask as we move towards Christmas this next week that you would be with us and that we can get beyond the stresses of shopping and planning and cleaning the house and all of that and just settle down for a moment just to realize that you have been with us and we are so thankful. So God, help us to celebrate the birth of Jesus. As we've already declared, there's no other name under, which, under heaven by which man can be saved, right? Salvation comes through Jesus Christ alone. As we, as Samantha was declaring earlier, we have been given a very powerful tool in our lives, and it's the name of Jesus. And we thank you for that. And Lord, would you bless the rest of our time? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Would you guys please stand back up to your feet? We'll finish up with a little more time of worship. And um, I love you guys. I hope to see you next week. Take care. Thanks. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you.